With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given. And I would love to say that you find us all in fine fettle, but that would be a lie. Let's start off with Daniel Norcross, who, before we started recording, has been whinging about his gums and his general oral hygiene. Daniel Norcross, great to see you, mate. What's going on with your gums? Pandemic, didn't go to the dentist for five years. Suddenly started to get these like massive, great lumps in the left-hand side of my my gum region. Thought I'd better do something about it. Called a dentist, you know, pandemic, so three-month wait. And I, I started to gargle with neat gin, and that really helped enormously. It it, uh, it it reduced the swelling exceptionally. It was a great relief. But I felt that probably it's not a sustainable method if I want to live for more than, well, I've, I've got my eye on five or six years. So I went to the dentist, had a poke around, and then we got the terrible news. You've got um, advanced gum disease. Your bones your bones are doing this, that, and the other. Your, your teeth are fine but the bones are reducing. You've got to go and see somebody for gums, right? Now, whenever you go to a dentist, you obviously suspect they're going to catastrophize because that's how they make money, isn't it? I mean, they're private. Whatever happened to the NHS. But at the same time, they're very convincing because they're professional, I believe, in experts. So I get referred to actually an excellent practice in central London. Uh, And... um, knee deep in gum treatment i've had three of them so far and what i wanted to ask the two of you because i've had a revelation this week an absolute revelation so tell me when you brush your teeth what do you do at the end do you swill your mouth out do you hold the toothpaste in your face do you spit that out and leave it what do you do what do you do do you ever what do you do well um finney why don't you talk us through your uh, dental practices first what do you do at the end of brushing well i think you first and foremost you should be brushing with an electric brush correct half gum half tooth yeah Ooh, softly hello. so the red light so the red light doesn't come on mm-hmm. um when your when your toothbrush is twizzling around for those of us that are fortunate enough to have electric toothbrushes um <laughs> and then i wouldn't i wouldn't be swizzling don't swizzle i got told by my hygienist so oh. i don't you oh. don't I leave it. I leave it in there and, and let it all let it all fester away. Yeah, unless uh, I'm off to have a coffee and then I do swizzle. Now, that's... what do you mean by swizzle? You mean do you mean rinse your mouth out? Yeah, rinse your mouth out and spit but, it out. Yeah, but, but you shouldn't do that, should you? No, no, you should definitely not do that. You oh, should also. What? I know. Oh, because the fluoride in the toothpaste is fantastic for your for your mouth. It's fantastic for your teeth. That's well, that's the point. Don't what, don't I know. Don't wash it out. Don't wash out. Do not use mouthwash. That's that's us done with Listerine, isn't it? Now, um, hang on. So yeah, there, there goes that sponsorship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hang on. So let me get this straight. But 
Because what I do at the end, yes. I do a nice big brush, 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 yes. brush, 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 all the things that Finney said there, half gum, half tooth, you know, make sure you're not pressing too hard, yada, yada, yada. When I get to the end, I put a bit of warm water in my mouth with the rest of my toothpaste. And then I sort of swill it around quite aggressively and then I spit it all out. And you're saying I don't do that final bit. No, you absolutely must not do that oh, or else no. you'll end up like me. You've also you've also got to do so much flossing and pushing around with things. It's like my routine is now 25 minutes long, right? And I'm a man with obsessive compulsive disorders. So I have for years brushed my teeth in exactly the same way for fear of doing it wrong and then dying the next day just, you know, through a thunderbolt. And I've had to face this fear. Last night, I had to do it completely differently. And it is, I don't know, it's like a journey of discovery. It's almost like a kind of existential. If I can if I can ditch what I thought was a good behavior, which turns out to be a bad behavior, who knows what I could go on to achieve? That is, who knows? So when you finish brushing, you just got to leave the toothpaste You've just in leave your mouth, just festering. They did say you can spit. You can spit the bits that are getting in your way and that. But yeah, and also... Have any of you ever got the the uh, miniature gum cleaner, right? Yeah. So it's like a, right? And you've got to do them first. Well, mm. first is pokey pokey, then mm. gum cleaner. Mm. They gave me two potassium tablets. Well, they're not potassium. They just look like potassium. They're, they're beetroot and carrot mix. You put them in a bit of water, <laughs> stick it in your mouth, then gaze at your mouth and your gums. And where it's purple is where you haven't brushed properly. It is wow. a salutary lesson, my friend. Wow. Well, I mean, I do have to, I always get the little floss thingies in because I've got one bit particularly at the back where the, my food gets caught all the yeah. time. But are you it, only going there though? I mean, you've got to do the, you've got to do them all. Yeah, I should. They migrate, plaque migrates, you see. Once it gets a toehold in one tooth, it can like super spread right across while you're sleeping. Apparently. I always think this, right? What the hell did they do in like before the year about, I don't know, 1995? Like in the middle in the Middle Ages, surely people's teeth were just absolutely disgraceful. Yeah, they were. They were absolutely, they're absolutely rotten. How is the human body designed so badly that only in the last few decades have we had the technology to sort our fucking mouth out? It's, it's absolutely extraordinary. My, my, I'll, I'll bring this back to cricket. My grandfather was keeping wicket for Nelson, I think it was, when he was 18, and he took one straight to the face. It knocked out four of his front teeth, and he was taken to the, the hospital dentist. And he's because he was coming up to his 18th birthday, his dad struck a deal with the dentist to knock him out and pull out every single one of his teeth and give him dentures without him <laughs> noticing and called it his 18th birthday present because because the inevitability of having shit teeth meant that my great granddad thought this would be saving the lad years and years of annoying dental bollocks <laughs> and his teeth being in terrible agony just rip out all 32 of them in one go <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking mad isn't it how yeah, badly this... yorkshire but i mean Nelson. i mean York, they still do that in yorkshire, in yorkshire now i think yeah. but uh yeah. finney i mean you know it, how does it feel when you look at norcross and you hear these stories that you know one day that'll be you having beetroot and carrot pills put in your mouth so you can see where you haven't brushed yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm comfortable with it. Hopefully, I won't be as pompous, but you know, we'll, um, <laughs> we'll have to hope that hope that that's nothing to do with the the dental issues that he's having. A new yeah, line I, of attack. I notice it's a new line of attack. And once it starts, it doesn't bloody stop, does it? I don't. No, Jesus. that's dressing room culture for you. Unfortunately, oh, I got another um, two years of this. Yeah, well, six or seven. I can't believe you're planning to live till 117. It's amazing, really. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> Take a man when he's down. Honestly. Sorry. Have you got yet? Yeah, because so now this is more medication. I, I'd imagine we are just weeks away from when you have to have one of those plastic trays that says Monday to Sunday on it so you know which ones you've taken. Oh, I've got them. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> so these are the statins, right? They've they've got days of the week written on them. The statins. Oh, this is um, a slippery slope, this. Let's see on the yes on the back of yes on the back of the blood pressure tablets they've got them too, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, you're right. I should get an actual tray for them, shouldn't I? So I can mm. put them all in. That and and you need to have day, which day of the week you take them, AM or PM, and which part of your body you pop them in. That's very important as well. Um, uh, well, I, I was told by um, Graham Fowler's wife the other day that. If you have to undergo the gum treatment that I'm going to do, there's a bit that I haven't been told about yet. 
when they give you an antibiotic called something ridiculous, like makes a flubber double doll, and uh, if you drink alcohol with it, you literally die of a heart attack. So, <laughs> I mean, I thought this was catastrophizing on a high level, but I did quiz her and did a little bit of Googling. And it is true. There is some bizarre antibiotic that's out there that's like, you know, they say don't drink on antibiotics doesn't, and, and it's never really it's true. It's always bollocks. Yeah. Yeah. Now this is the one where, you know, they combine, oh. you die. Um, you know, they don't even sniff a trifle basically. Really? So, but then yeah, I've got, I've got like, I've got about a week of that to look forward to at some point. But you've got so much alcohol in your system over the years. I think the I antibiotics, the, the second that antibiotic gets inside you, it's going to freak out well, and kill you, I'd imagine. Thing. Am I going to have to have like a week's build-up before I can even take one of them? It's Honestly, <laughs> this is a serious endeavour I'm going through. And were it not for the great official rights holders of the Ashes BT, I don't think I would have undergone this treatment. I mean, but, you know, they demand nicer teeth. So... Mm. So, well, I'm so sorry to hear that's how your week's going. I mean, you can tell producer Sal's not with us today because we're about nine minutes in here and we've only talked about Daniel's gum disease. Let's move on to Stephen Finn, who's... What have you been doing today, Finney? You've been playing a second 11 game for Sussex? I have, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> sorry. sorry, Finney was taking a huge mouthful of pizza whilst I asked him that question. Finney, <laughs> now talk us through your um, your diet. Is this from the Sussex medical team? They Because I've seen on the screen here on Zoom, that you, you're eating not one, but two pizzas. Is that considered a healthy... Well, no, te- technically it's not two pizzas. Look, it's one... Well, that's the first pizza. I just, well, I, there isn't a second one. There actually isn't a second one. You just <laughs> saw the packaging for the first time. But yeah, the, the, the Sussex physios, you know, after you've had a hard workout such as I had today in this T20 game against Hampshire, the, it's important that you restock your body with the replenished things so i've got a salami and um cheese and tomato pizza here just to really restock my um my energy supplies so that i'm capable of being able to play three games in four days which we have this week i'm not i'm not convinced that this there is you official but you, you you bullshitted it very very well um well i'm not brave enough to eat a pizza after my recent health issues daniel norcross isn't the only one here with a few health concerns um if well, we couldn't do this podcast yesterday anyway, but I would not have been able to even make it onto this call yesterday. I spent the entire afternoon with uh, both my front and my back inside a toilet after eating a Christmas, uh, Christmas <laughs> cricket tea, not Christmas, a cricket tea on Saturday playing for my club. And 18 players that played in the game have been wiped out with a horrendous case of food. Poisoning. Eight, 18. So that's yeah. like, was that? I'm fascinated. So who are the four that survived? I mean, well, yeah, you want to get them in for medical yeah. research. Well, you? exactly. Well, the, the weird thing was three of them didn't have the teas, which makes sense. But That's one bloke, yeah. one bloke, the overseas for the oppo, big South African fast bowler. South African. <laughs> yeah. Demolished, demolished a whole tray of these sandwiches that took everyone else out. And he feels right as rain. So of course a, he does. They, they, are, they are built like, <laughs> like bison. You know, I mean, the South African fast bowlers, honestly, they, they could wade through a sea of open sewage in a canal in, I don't know, Taunton, and feel absolutely no pain off the back of that. They'd be yep. fine. They, they actually, they get bigger and stronger. It's hilarious <laughs> that all these molly-coddled southern Surrey cricket boys all had a horrible case of food poisoning. And the South African guy didn't even blink, just carried on. Yeah, no, I'm fine, lads. I don't know what you were talking about. So, so tell me, when did you, when did you, when, how did you discover it? Because I'm always fascinated by food poison. I, I had it once, uh, well, more than once, but I had it once when I was interviewing somebody on Test Match Sofa in 2013 during the Ashes. And it was seven o'clock in the morning. So I'd gone through the day, uh, you know, the day's cricket. And the last thing I had to do was just interview, I think it might have even been Dan Libke. And uh, I'd got two questions in, and I suddenly thought, oh, I feel this is a very odd feeling I've suddenly got. For some reason, I think I'm about to vomit. Don't know why. Can't be anything important. So I, I, I paused the interview, handed over to someone else, walked into the, the kitchen in the studio, and threw up copiously. And then because I couldn't really believe it yet, I just thought it was like stress and anxiety and late nights. Walked straight back on and finished the interview. <laughs> then discovered, of course, that it was worse than that. Threw up twice more. 
sat in a car on the way back um, with my head out the window while the bloke driving it just kept on screaming, I've only just bought this car. Don't <laughs> shit yourself, you fucker. <laughs> Got dropped off at my house at 8 o'clock in the morning, which was the point at which the sun was finally rising because it was like late December 2013. And I saw that the bathroom light was on. I thought, that's weird. That's very weird. My wife's never up this time of day. I went through the door, and the first thing I heard was the washing machine. I thought, the fucking washing machine's going before 8 o'clock in the morning, the bathroom light's on, and I've got food poisoning, and I'm desperate suddenly to shit, and she's in the bathroom. The only option I had was, you know those like slightly beige Christmas pudding mixing bowls with the enamel insides, and they're beige around the outside, a great big fucking bowl thing. Because we've only got one bathroom. I had to squat on that. <laughs> I, I didn't like where this was going. Oh. Because Fuck it turned sake, out... I'm eating a pizza. Two people, two people with food poisoning and one bathroom and a three-bedroom flat is not a pretty sight. Are you, honestly, there's nothing worse than that. And, and also, it's just like your mental state. Tobes, at what point did you actually acknowledge this is a serious issue as opposed to just a surprising vomit? Well, so I I had a bit of a boozy weekend anyway. I had a few drinks. Yeah, so that, would the, that would muddy the waters if you'll pardon S- the visual pun. Well, exactly. So so Sunday night I went to bed and in the middle of the night I had a bit of a stomach ache, like a bit of stomach cramps. And I thought, oh, I don't feel too clever, but I've had a very heavy boozy weekend. So I didn't think much of it. And I sort of kept on half sleeping through to my alarm, but I didn't feel too bad. I just had a bit of a dodgy stomach, like just felt a bit like stomachache, whatever. Thought I could this was be Monday, a... yeah? This, Monday. this is Monday morning, but we'd eaten it Saturday lunchtime, so it was a long delay kicking in for everyone. Mm. So I was about to set off for work. It got to about 10 to 9. So I had to do my radio show at 10, and I checked, the, I checked my phone, and the cricket WhatsApp group was going off. And about one of the lads had messaged going, is anybody else in a world of trouble here? Because I've been sick all night. And then three others went, yeah, we have as well. So I thought, hang on a second. So I called my producer at work and I said, here's the deal. I feel fine. I'm slightly concerned that I'm about to get hit by whatever all the other guys have been hit with. And if I'm on air at 10 when this happens, it would not be a deal. And he goes, see how you feel the next 20 minutes. And it was getting worse. And I called him, I said, just to be on the safe side. So we got a last-minute replacement to do my radio show. And thank God. Why don't you call me? Why don't you call me? I don't, I, I, well, no, it's a bit early in the morning. How long have yeah. you got? Uh, and then, uh, about, <laughs> about, about 11.30, oh, the floodgates opened. My word. The, the, the most amount of sick. I was not too bad at the other end, the more graphic end, but the amount of sick. I've, I, I reckon I've genuinely dropped the belt size. Which is wow. good because all our team jumpers for our club turned up a size too small. So all of us can fit Ooh. in it now. So there are some positives. But yeah, it was a graphic and very horrendous start to proceedings. Now, we should probably move on to cricket Wait, at some very, point. Very briefly, though. Yes. Just, I mean, a, a conspiracy theorist would assume here that the, um, the, the company that sent you the kit that's a mm. size too small may have then been in cahoots with the catering company. Mm. That's true. To kind of like offset the problem. Yeah. They probably paid them a hefty sum for that. Yeah, there's, there's, that's worth looking into. Um, the other big suspect has to be the South African overseas and the other team. I think he's the other guy you've got to point some fingers at. But uh, yeah, he took all the sandwiches that weren't diseased. <laughs> the plot thickens, really, <laughs> doesn't it? Well, I'll report back in a few weeks when I find out what the latest is. Uh, Finny, now I know that you are still eating, but on this topic, we've touched on this before. But the old Delhi belly. What have you, I can't remember you now. If you've told us, you you've have you been hit by it abroad? Have you, you've always been quite lucky, I seem to remember. Uh, no, I've um, I went to Pakistan for forty eight hours for the PSL final in two thousand and eighteen, um, and I picked up a stomach bug called Shigella, oh, which God. is basically unbelievably aggressive food poisoning. Oof. Yeah, Google it. Honestly, it's savage. I probably won't. Um, and I <laughs> I caught it. I caught that. After we won the final, I ate some lukewarm chicken tikka in the dressing room um, and and had Japanese at the hotel restaurant the night before. So I was eating raw fish. And yeah, that was that was as bad as it got for me. And the, the worst bit, the worst bit about it was like the flight home was obviously terrible because you couldn't like you couldn't take two steps to that thing like you're going to shit yourself. So it was grotesque like to ask the flight attendant for Imodium and paracetamol like it was so unpleasant 
Um, and then when I got back to England, like it just didn't clear up. Like, you know, usually food poisoning, it goes away. It stayed for like a week. And Oof. I was like, I, this is not ideal. I need to, I need to find out what's going on. So I had to go into the doctors and I had to shit into a test tube, which um, <laughs> considering test tube? Cons- a test tube. Yeah. So that they could send it off for um, don't you, analysis. Don't you take the moral high ground, Norcross. You were shitting in a mixing bowl about five minutes well, ago. So. <laughs> damn sight easier to shit into a mixing bowl than a test tube. <laughs> well, that's the problem. I, I then <laughs> got it everywhere. And had to go back out to the receptionist and say, I'm, I'm really sorry. I've, I've just got it everywhere. I need a new test tube. And yeah, poured it from one test tube to the other. Gave her my test tube of shit. Um, and then went on my merry way and got told later that afternoon that I had Shigella. <laughs> She's looking at you. And that's you. a genuine story. I mean, I've got photos we can post on it. Photo? She yeah. paused to take photos. <laughs> yeah, it was too it was too comical not to, to be honest. Oh my word, that sounds horrendous. Well, um apart terrible. from Dan's gums i'm glad we're all in slightly better health than those last two stories right cricket so we'll get into it it has been uh, another exciting week in the world of english cricket maybe not as exciting as uh, some of the stories you just heard there but exciting nonetheless including the england squad being announced for the first test against new zealand which is beautifully very very nearby i can't wait for the return of test cricket and there was some non-surprises i.e the returns of anderson and broad that we'd kind of been expecting and told was going to happen and there were some usual suspects as well Jack Leach is in there Joe Root's in there of course Ben Folks keeps the gloves after a wonderful start to the season however let's pick out some of the more interesting names the first one is Harry Brook who has just been absolutely ridiculous in the county championship so far this season Finney and Norcross sort of touched on this point last week actually when we briefly mentioned Harry Brook but I guess English cricket and test cricket is in a weird place at the moment between wanting to have a look at Harry Brook and reward him with a test call-up for how unbelievably good he's been this year. But also, we've ruined a lot of young cricketers in the last five, six, seven years by calling them up too early. So how do you think going forward English cricket handles that? You're obviously a player that broke into the England team at a young age. Is there a right or wrong age to call these guys up or do you just have to kind of pick on form? I think you pick on form because you don't want to be put into a team when you're out of form because that's going to ruin your confidence. Uh, I do think, though, with the coach structure and with Ben Stokes as captain, um, especially with Brendan McCullum as the coach, I do think that it's going to give guys like Harry Brook, Ollie Pope, a fresh leash of, lease of life to be able to go out there and express themselves, which ultimately international cricket, it's, it's obviously played at a higher intensity and, and more scrutiny than it does with county cricket and a coach and captain that can take away as much pressure as possible from the players is a good thing and allows them to go out and play their game. So uh, I do think guys like Brooke and Pope will um, will fare well under the leadership of Brendan McCullum. And it sounds like Norcross, Ollie Pope is going to go in at number three and it sounds like maybe Harry Brook won't actually play this first test. So it's a good chance for him to just sort of soak up a bit of what playing for England feels like. Ollie Pope, obviously you love the bloke because he's a Surrey player and uh, you worship the ground he walks on. England have got a bit of a problem here because Ollie Pope's not really a number three, but it sounds like that's where he's going to bat. though also has always batted best at number sort of seven, but it sounds like they're going to ask him to go a bit up the order. It still feels a little bit square pegs round hole in places, this squad. Well, I, I think the Bearstow thing, we just have to cover that off immediately. If he's playing as a batter, which he will be doing because folks will be playing, then he's a batter. So he fits into the batting order wherever that should be. Now, um, he has scored 100 at number three, albeit in Sri Lanka. And he was actually very vociferous in letting the press pack know that you know he, was, he, he wasn't very happy with them, even though the press pack had been calling for him to bat at number three. <laughs> where he scored 100. <laughs> so, um, uh, look, I, I, he's not going to bat at seven if you've got folks in the side as a keeper. That's And he's a, he's a flexible batter. So five makes absolute sense for him. Stokes at six makes absolute sense there. Uh, Pope at three is a function of um, what is essentially what we have to put up with the whole time, isn't it? That it's true one day and then it's not true the other day. So apparently it was true that Joe Root wanted to bat at three in the West Indies, having batted and having been adamant that he wanted to bat at four a lot the rest of the time. 
And what we found out is that actually Joe Root wants to bat at four. So someone's got to bat at three. So who is that person going to be? And we've chosen somebody, the brightest prospect in English batting. And it's not because, I don't say that because he plays for Surrey. I mean, I'm not, Ryan Patel's a very fine player, but I'm not doubting his cause for England. It's that Ollie Pope is the objective I can see an absolutely wonderful young batter who will have a terrific career, hopefully, if things go right for him. I don't think things are being set up to help him a great deal by asking him to bat at three. But by the same token, I actually have faith in his ability to do that. Um, I think it's a shame that the best batter in the England side, Joe Root, doesn't want to bat at three um, because that would solve a few problems. Ollie Pope does bat at four for Surrey. Bairstow at five makes sense. Stokes six and folks seven. That does all make sense. I think actually the, the biggest issue I have with the England selection is the opening batting spot. That I, I mean, Finney's been talking about this man for quite some time and I've seen him a fair bit. I saw him especially against a really good Nottinghamshire team the other day under slate grey skies at Lords with Middlesex battling to draw a game, having been, you know, zipped for two. And he scored 100 out of 130-odd against Pattinson, Broad, Luke Fletcher, and the bloke that did for Finney's nads, Lyndon James, who's quite slippery, as I'm sure Finney will tell you. He's he's pretty quick. Um, It's a good bowling lineup in good conditions. And Sam Robson again peels off 100. And then Zach Crawley, I look at Zach Crawley. The games that Kent have played, they've conceded 500 in almost every occasion on wickets that have been incredibly bland. The opener at the other end, Ben Compton, has scored 870-odd runs, I think it is now, and Crawley has not, and the same conditions against the same bowlers. And I do slightly think that, I don't know what Sam Robson's got to do to get a look in right now. And People say, well, Zach Crawley got 100 for England three games ago, on the flattest track imaginable. And it's not an anti-Crawley thing. I just think if you're going to pick the best team to win a game and you're going to bring Anderson and Broad back in, so age isn't an issue... Why not pick the best informed right-handed opener right now who's scoring runs in difficult conditions? Well, Finney, I want to ask you about that because Zach Crawley, I mentioned square pegs, round holes. He's never looked like an opening batsman to me ever. And uh, I saw a statistic that Ben Compton, who Norcross mentioned there, has scored as many first-class hundreds for Kent as Zach Crawley has. And Ben Compton made his debut for Kent on the 7th of April this year. So Sam Robson is a proper, proper old-fashioned opener. And is this an example of maybe a bit of still England selectors' ageism? Because Broad and Anderson are exceptional cases. But do you think there's an element of with Sam Robson that if he was 23, not 33, they would definitely be picking him for this squad? Uh, yeah, but he also wouldn't be the player that he is now if he was 23. Um, and experience and time playing the game gives you those... Because opening the batting's hard, especially in England, because the ball moves around more when it's... Well, it's brand, brand new and you have to be able to deal with the ups and downs that come with that. And if you have a couple of low scores and then you're chasing your tail, you play a couple of big shots, you don't stick to your game plan and all of a sudden you've gone five or six innings um, without scoring any significant runs. I, I think the, the psychological toll on you can um, end up making it very hard work. So to be more experienced, to have experienced ups and downs, I think is also an important element of an, of, a, of an opening batter. Um, and Sam Robson certainly had that. And, and again, I'm not saying that I think Zach Crawley's no good. I think he's an ex- exceptional player, an exceptional younger player. Um, but I do also think that he's probably not best suited to opening the batter. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, he did, it was worth mentioning, finally score a couple of runs as soon as his name was announced in the squad. He scored a couple of 50s in their most recent game. And as Norcross mentioned then, it wasn't just the 100 a few tests ago, but it was the fact that he came in uh, at Australia and scored a couple of runs late in the series that suddenly everybody decided that Zach Crawley 2.0 was the second coming and that we'd found our next opener for the next 10 years. And there was probably a bit too much fanfare because finally a bloke was scoring some runs down under. Um, but I would not imagine that considering how good the New Zealand bowling attack is and how over the years, how much they've enjoyed themselves in English conditions, which are quite similar to the New Zealand conditions, an opening partnership of Lees and Crawley, followed by an, an Ollie Pope who's had quite a difficult start to his test career, no matter how much talent there may be in that player. 
probably not going to strike too much fear into the hearts of the New Zealand bowling attack, I'd say that top three. So um, despite a new era under Stokes and McCullum, it does feel like the same issues are going to probably be being talked about over the next few months during this cricket. It's not going to be a quick turnaround. Um, and we know that and we we weren't expecting that. Obviously, I'm still going to whinge about the fact that there's no Parkinson in the squad, which I am still absolutely disgusted by. Not even in the squad. Can't get a look in. Can't get, can't get a look in at the minute. Unbelievable. Um, oh, come on. The, the T20 Blast's about to start. And every, every fool knows that leggies and unorthodox spinners are the gold standard for T20. So I, I'm very pleased for Lancashire, actually. It means that instead of Matt Parkinson going to three test venues and not playing cricket, he's actually going to play some T20 in the blast for the next three or four weeks and uh, be one of the most valuable players in that competition. So yeah, good for him. Yeah, and, great and, to and Lancashire. Actually, and, the, and the issue is, is, is twofold, actually. I'm not 100% sure they'll necessarily pick Leach. No, Leach hasn't played a home game in two years. right? He's been the only spinner in the squad not played a home game. The first game he played, well, he played in India, obviously, and then he played in Brisbane, but they didn't trust him to play uh, in, in any home test venue. So there's every chance they won't play a single spinner. They might well play Leach, but it, it would have been surprising if they'd gone in uh, and selected a leg spinner as their only spinner, even if you might think that's a good idea. What's even more shameful, though, Toby, is that you um, you used to be uh, all over Liam Livingston, and he's he's like dead to you now, isn't he? I no, mean, he's... I didn't I didn't see I didn't see anything on your Twitter feed about Liam Livingston. No, he's, he's dead to me. He's dead to me. I was uh, I was a huge huge advocate of get Liam Livingston in the Test team. He reminded me of uh, of a young KP. The way that he he broke into the England white ball setup and immediately started spanking attacks all over the place, just like KP did in South Africa all those years ago. And I thought this guy can bat. This guy is going to save the Test team middle order. And instead, he decided to go to the IPL where he plays in front of 60, 70, 80,000 screaming, adoring fans, earning millions of pounds whilst there's fireworks going off and there's cheerleaders dancing. And he's probably making an absolute fortune in all sorts of advertising and all sorts of sponsorship and all this sort of stuff on the side. And um, instead, he could have, he could have on the 2nd of April been playing for Lancashire against the Loughborough UCCE First Eleven, earning his right to play in the test team in front yeah. of no crowd in about seven degrees. And, and if he's not willing to do that, then he's dead to me, frankly. Well, I, I totally understand because we're coming to the Jubilee, aren't we, when we're going to honour the great queen of this country who has given so much service, who has, in the early days, you know, she got to go around the world and be beautiful and visit all these fantastic parts. But in the last sort of 10 or 15 years, been a lot of, you know, opening wings in museums and, you know, the equivalent of Loughborough UCCE. She didn't mm. ask for a big money transfer to India. You know, she didn't say, I'll come and be your queen. She didn't, she didn't offer her services to any other country out there that might have been looking for a monarch. She kept her head down. She kept on working for this septic aisle. And I know what you mean. Basically, mm. Liam Livingston, he's, he's basically Prince Harry, isn't he? He's gone off to California. Mm. He's doing his thing. And he's, you want him to be a bit more like QE2. Right? Yeah, I do. I, I the think Daily Mail aren't going to like him either, then, are they? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. I mean, I fear for the boy, actually. I yeah, fear for I him do. because because he could get cancelled in no yeah, time yeah. at all <laughs> for going off and being one of the most valuable players in one of the biggest leagues in cricket in the if, entire world. If he's going to keep going away and earning millions <laughs> on Sky Sports every afternoon instead of playing Loughborough University away, then he'll get cancelled very quickly, my son. Don't you worry about that. Uh, now. Something else that uh, caught my eye as we talk about the return of Stuart Broad and James Anderson to the England fold is a statistic that Andrew Sampson, statistician extraordinaire, statistician extraordinaire, I should say, posted on Twitter this week. And Finney, I wanted to ask you about this. So this is the number of first-class overs bowled between the ages of 20 and 24. Uh, sorry, first-class list day and T20 overs. And there's been a lot of injuries this week. We have sadly seen injuries to Shakib Mahmood, Joffre Archer, Matthew Fisher, Mark Wood still got his injury problems. Ollie Stone still got his injury problems. So Ollie Stone bowled 795 overs in uh, professional cricket between the ages of 20 and 24. Shakib Mahmood, 591. Matthew Fisher, 549. Mark Wood, 412. Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson 
over 2,000, more than three and four times some of those guys there. Now, what is behind that statistic, Finney? And, and you know, why are Broad and Anderson still going so strong in their mid to late 30s when it feels like lots of young fast bowlers are, are breaking down, even though they're bowling much less than their, than their previous counterparts? Off the top of my head, I don't know, to be quite honest. I think that the style of bowler matters when it comes to getting injured, especially as a youngster. If you're a bit more of a tear away, a quick tear away, then naturally it's going to put more stress on your body as your body gets used to bowling. But yeah, Broad and Anderson were no slouches, were they? When they were younger, they bowled around 90 miles an hour. But yeah, I I don't know, to be honest. It's a very tricky one to be able to be able to decipher that information, but they are significant differences between the two. And Broad and Anderson are still going now. I suppose the the other thing, like I, I probably would have bowled as many overs as Broad and Anderson in those early years of my career because I played a lot both for England and um, for Middlesex at the time. But I'm 33 and you know have to manage niggles as I'm going along, whereas Broaden Anderson have, have seemed to stay relatively fit all the time. Um, so maybe they're just freaks of nature. What, what about the theory that some people, admittedly, with no sort of diploma in sports science or anything like that, but as we've learned in the last two or three years during a pandemic, everybody with a Twitter account is an expert on everything. What about the sort of theory that nowadays there's a lot more focus on gym work and building muscle and strength and conditioning and maybe not enough fitness brought about just by bowling lots of overs and getting lots of overs under your legs? I mean, I know that the old school guard of your Ian Botham's of this world will always tell you that he never lifted weights. He just bowled and did a bit of running and a bit of swimming and stuff. Do you pay any, pay any credence to that at all, that maybe there's a bit too much sort of gym stuff on the side going on? Yeah, I do a little bit. Yeah, I think it's important to maintain to maintain your body and to make sure that you're fit and functional enough to be able to bowl um, as your body wants you to bowl. Um, but I would never want to try and bulk up or, or get bulky because I feel like it would affect the way that I'm able to move through the crease. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I actually got quite lucky when I was younger. I was selected on a pace program when I was 17 or 18. Um, and I think there were six or seven people on it. And we were off to Florida, actually, to go and do like a weightlifting camp, an Olympic weightlifting camp where you didn't bowl. All you did was lift weights and try and beat your PB the entire time. Um, and I got a late call up to the England Lions squad at that stage and went to bowl at the Lions in India. Uh, so I didn't go on this pace program trip to Florida and the five out of the six guys or six out of the seven, I was the only one basically who didn't get a stress fracture that following summer. And that might just be fate, but um, that sort of confirmed in my eyes when that did happen, um, that lifting weights and trying to get big and bulky and heavy wasn't something that I thought would help me in my cricket. That's fascinating, isn't it? It's, I mean, I think Chris Tremlett's one that springs to mind who was always a big guy, but sort of became a, a bodybuilder before our very eyes as he was playing cricket and, and broke down soon afterwards. But then, you know, those names I mentioned, Ollie Stone, Shakiba Mood, Matthew Fisher, Mark Wood, you wouldn't put any of them in that sort of bodybuilder bracket. There is, of course, some people are just injury prone and, and some people are just unlucky as well. Yeah, but also this has been going on for quite a long time. It's just that, you know, medical science hasn't necessarily called it those things when they happened. I mean, I'm old enough as you continue to remind me uh, to remember Lillian Thompson and Thompson did pro bowl genuinely frighteningly quick. Uh, you, people say that in the old days, you know, everything was much slower. He was the fastest of the people there. So whoever was facing him, they were all coming out going, Oh my fucking Jesus. That is seriously quick. He had a ridiculous action. He was unbelievably slingy. And sure enough, he suffered terrible injury problems and he would never bowl as fast as he did when he first started. Dennis Lilly was really, really quick when he first started. He also got back problems. Now, you know, he was out of the game for a couple of years. There was pneumonia, there was all sorts of other things thrown in, but he probably had a very similar issue to what bowlers having like right now. Ian Bishop was an incredibly quick fast bowler. He started his career averaging 21, 22 was the next big thing. The sustainability of that with people is very rare. And and what you look at 
when you see the very best bowlers continuing to keep going are the freaks. They're the extraordinary ones, the Dale Staines of this world, who can continue to bowl that pace and take that many wickets for that long. Towards the back end of his career, he couldn't do it, could he? You know, but he, we, we got 10 years out of him, is it? And that's extraordinary. Shane Bond was one, another one very much like Ian Bishop and the others, who was frighteningly, petrifyingly quick, big guy, ran in hard to the crease. And then, you know, how long did he really last? Five or six years before the pace had to go because of the, the, the continual injuries. So it's not weird that doing something really unusual, which is bowling fast, is going to result in injuries and that you're not going to be able to sustain it for very long. What you look at with Broad and Anderson is people who have been determined to prolong their careers and they've made compromises along the way about what they want to achieve when bowling. You know, who is Brett Lee might be one of the longer, mm. genuinely really, really quick bowlers. But another one, uh, Sean Tate, was basically kept together with duct tape. I mean, he probably had a, a bloody sponsorship deal with them. He could barely do more than three or four games at a time. So, you know, it's what we're asking these people to do is absolutely ridiculous. So uh, I don't I don't know that, you know, that we're living in unusual times, particularly. It's also it's with, the same with, thing. with Broad and Anderson. And uh, I think you're absolutely right with everything you said. And also, Broad and Anderson, we've watched them change the sort of bowler they've become because probably they realised it wasn't sustainable as well. You picture that Jimmy yeah. Anderson that burst onto the scene with a blonde streak or a red streak in his hair bowling 90-odd miles an hour. And now we look at a guy who focuses on going at less than two runs and over and trying to almost bore a batsman out rather than just try and beat them with pure pace. But I guess... But Toby, Anderson Toby, it's like, it's, like, it's like club cricket, isn't it? It's like, in, in a way, it's like a facsimile of club cricket. You've got, you got that bloke who used to bowl really quick, the legend, when he was in his 20s. He was a proper quick bowler, he was. And then, you know, when he's 45, 50, he's an absolutely nagging and impossible dobber because yeah. he wants to keep on playing cricket. And basically, that's what Jimmy Anderson is, but writ large. Like, he's the very, very, very best version of that. <laughs> and it's also, it's so frustrating because there's always the bloke at the club, because I know I'm going to be that guy one day, who uh, who they go, oh, yeah, Toby, you know, when he was younger, he, 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 could, he could bend his back a little bit, you know. He's, but now, you know, I'm just going to be bowling there with keeper up, bowling at 15 miles an hour. And nobody will believe me. Like, I don't believe all the old boys at the club That's now right. that tell me they used to be sharp and at the keeper back. And That's yeah, it. it's, it's very, very true. And uh, well, I guess it's another, another reason to praise the unbelievable careers of Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad. Finney, can you see yourself turning out for, uh, for a village cricket team when you're 65, bowling little dibbly dobblers and convincing people that I used to be well quick. I used to play for England. Um, no, to be quite honest. I think if I was fortunate enough to have a son or a daughter, I would, I'd enjoy playing in the same cricket team as them at some stage. Yeah, in like a club's third eleven or something, that'd be pretty cool to play with, um, to play with your son or daughter. But yeah, I don't, I don't envisage me doing it for fun at sixty-five years old. I mean, I, I'm already lining up my knee replacements and stuff already. I think so to have to put that on the line to play a bit of village cricket. I can't see it happening. I, I can see it happening. And I'll tell you why because you haven't thought about the implications yet, Finney. That in my experience, and Toby, you'll back this up. When we play jazz hat like charity cricket. It's always the stellar bowlers from the past that keep going, like Caddick. Is it, he's a classic example, Devon yeah. Malcolm. Yeah, but do they because, bowl in those games? No, like, I'd, no. I'd play in those games and bat, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And that's mm. why you'll keep going, because you've spent all your cricketing career being bombed by 85, 90-mile-per-hour bowlers batting down at number 10. And you finally get the chance to actually smash 65-mile and over filth over long on. And so bowlers, they keep on playing. The only batter I know who keeps on playing those games is Mark Ramprakash. Every other batter, when they finish professional cricket, they go, I'm never fucking touching this again because there's nothing in it for them. If they go out and bat and they get out, then it's just, you know, they've made someone's day and they've been humiliated again. But it's so true. <laughs> all the bowlers, all the, the bowlers, bowlers can't wait to go out to bat in the Taverners games. But also they Mark Ramprakash... Strikes me as a bloke who, a bit like they say that Pele scored over a thousand goals, but it's because he started counting like club games he played when he was a kid and testimonials and <laughs> stuff. I bet Mark Ramprakash still adds every run he scores in a charity game to his career Mark, statistics. Mark, 
Mark is intense in charity games. I love Mark. He's, he's, a, he's a very, very lovely, lovely man. I've worked with many times. But when when he gets wild line fever, when he goes out in a charity game, he does. He, he, he still he still <laughs> pings those cover drives. Oh, he I, gives no mercy. <laughs> I, I played with him once at Harborn for Lord's Taverners, and and I think he got out on about thirty odd, and he was smiling as he was walking off because there was lots of people, but he was fucking spitting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, never, he's never lost that. I'll, I'll tell you the other thing that I've noticed in these charity games is. It's all fun and games until the game starts to get a little bit tight towards the end. So um, I played, uh, we played against the Mars Cricketer 11 a couple of years yes. ago at uh, Oxford Downs and Mark Elaine was captaining us that day. And Mark Elaine, you know, is captain Gloucestershire to copious amounts of trophies and considered one of the great county captains of all time. And at first, you know, it's me running in and Matthew Hoggard's bowling off one pace and it's the very lovely rugby player, George Shooter and all this. And uh, it got to the end where they needed about 19 to win off two overs. And you just see Mark Elaine starting to put the right fielders in the right positions and just subtly telling people, oh, Toby, make sure you're, you're walking in from there. And he starts to take it all a bit more seriously. And I remember watching poor Shoots running and drag one down first ball of his over and get carted to the fence for four. And I just watched Mark Elaine give a little kick of the ground at, at mid-on. And I thought, they, you, can't, you can take the professional out of the sport, but you can't, you can't take the sport out of the professional. He, uh, he was absolutely spewing when we lost that game, even though he was oh, smiling. We lost. Did we yeah. lose? Yeah, oh, we lost. No. We lost. And I could tell Mark Lane was absolutely gutted. But they obviously they have to smile and pose for the photos and shake everyone's hand. But the professional's always in there somewhere. Uh, well, Finney, I look forward to watching you uh, blocking the shit out of it when you're 65 years old on a village green near me somewhere. Uh, before we go, Daniel Norcross has got something he wants to tell us. What's, what is it now? You've got hemorrhoids. What do you want to talk about? Well, it's a bit like that. No, it's start of the week. Um, is that a jingle? I don't know. Uh, amazing scenes. <laughs> amazing scenes. Amazing only scenes. Only if every single time you do it, you say start of the week and then ask the question, is that a jingle? <laughs> don't know. <laughs> anyway, start of the week. Uh, amazing scenes in Mirpur, where Bangladesh are playing uh, Sri Lanka. And today, take a look at take a look at that scorecard. A super tramp might have said, "It's absolutely fantastic." Two batters with massive hundreds: Mushfika Rahim and Lytton Das. For my money, the best wicketkeeper batter in the world right now. I had him in my wisdom team of the year, two years running. Never gets a look in. Check out his stats: six ducks, and somebody gets fifteen. It's the first time in Test match history that a team has had six ducks and two centuries. Hats off. Hats off to Bangladesh. That is a recovery, my friends. Unbelievable. I think it's a third wicket punch of 272, something of that magnitude. And they were bowled out for 350-odd. That's how shit everyone else was. And, uh, yeah, we have posted the scorecard on our Twitter, at Zero Ducks Pod. But, yes, as Daniel said, out of a score of 365, there were six ducks, but Mushfika Rahim got 175 knots out and Litton Das got 141. Uh, and Extras was the third highest scorer with 13 as well. That's the classic sort of uh, club cricket game where you say, look, they've only got two good players. If we get them cheaply, we, we win this. All right, lads. Finney, what's the longest partnership you can remember bowling at? Can you remember being in the field for what felt like an eternity? Oh, the longest stint I've done in the field is 211 overs. <laughs> Whoa, and he knows exactly the number of overs. That's what game was that? It. That was um, South Africa versus England at Cape Town when Stokes got 250 and Bairstow oh. got runs. Um, and it just set every single bat. It was like carpet. Honestly, it was a disgrace. Like We were going out at the beginning of each session just laughing about the fact that we probably wouldn't take a wicket and <laughs> we'd just be doing exactly the same thing next session. <laughs> Hang on. That's good to know because we as pundits are constantly saying, what do you think it is they're trying to do? And it turns out that they've all gone out there with (laughs) a mindset that there's nothing we can do. Let's just wait for time to pass. Because basically they were retaliating. Well, I remember that game. They were retaliating. England has scored so many runs. Yeah, but we got got 600 in 120 overs. They got it in 211. (laughs) Yeah, well, that is proper retaliation. (laughs) That's how it should be. Here we go. Keep you there. I've got the scorecard here. So it was that ridiculous knock from Ben Stokes, 258 off 198. Best they got his debut 100, 150 not out. Uh, James Taylor, by the way, don't remember that. In innings of 629 for six declared. Vinny, do you remember what James Taylor did? 
Nought, I'd imagine. Gold, gold, golden duck. Bob Morris caught the cock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. And then it was South Africa's turn. Hashim Amla got 201. Bavuma got 102. Chris Morris got 69. De Villiers, 88. Elgar, 44. Wait, Finney, wait, Finney, Finney's figures. Finney's figures. Yeah, Finney, can Finney, you remember them? Can you remember your figures? Uh, it was three for 100 and something. Oh, um, I actually ever, did a riot. Massively exaggerated your performance. Two for 132. <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that is actually massive. That's massively different from three for 100. Who did I get? I got, I got De Villiers and Morris, I think. Uh, let's have a look here. So, South Africa, second innings. Uh, you got De Villiers, Bold Finn, Court Anderson. Yeah. Where was Anderson? At Gully? No, just long another, leg. Just another um, world-class player. Averages over 50 in my pocket. It's, <laughs> it's actually a joke how many of them there are in there. <laughs> how many How many did De Villiers get before he was out? Uh, just 88. It got to the stage where you know when a team's out of ideas because you just bowl non-stop bounces and hope that they spoon one up in the air. And that's what De Villiers did. He hit it straight to square leg and Jimmy took the catch. <laughs> uh, and Chris Morris bowled Finn caught root. So that's got to be somewhere around the no, back. No, there were no slips involved. It was, <laughs> um, it was extra cover. No, it was extra cover. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate your honesty as always. Uh, right, chaps, I'll let you both go, but uh, enjoy the rest of your week. See you next week. And Norcross, I hope your gums heal up soon. Yeah, we should also say sorry to Sal because we've been going for about an hour and most of it was us talking about puking and vomiting and he's not and shitting and he's not even heard that bit yet. He's got that to look forward to. (laughs) Enjoy the edit, Sal. Same time next week. See you, boys. Cheers, Sal. Bye. Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.